Welcome to Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. On the show, our team of industry experts interviews contingency fee attorneys. You will discover everything from how they got started to the secrets of their success and what's working in today's marketplace. And now, here's the Case Closed Podcast. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We are having another session of the Case Closed Podcast. And we have a very interesting attorney, someone who has actually figured out how to play both sides of the fence, mainly a defense attorney, but has passion projects to help the plants. Rachel, please introduce yourself and tell us your background. Yes, uh, happy to. So my name is Rachel Gwynn. I've been practicing for about 10 years now. I actually did my life a little backwards compared to many of my colleagues in that I was a teen mom and was a paralegal. For about 15 years before I went to law school. That whole 15 years was working from a, a plaintiff's side for attorneys who did plaintiff's work and contingent type work. And then I started my practice doing uh, contingent work. Um, I live in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, obviously, Indiana is a red state. Uh, we do have a Democratic mayor in the city of Fort Wayne, but Northeast Indiana is a very, very tough area to uh, make a good living as a contingent attorney. Uh, we have some firms that are PI firms that, you know, that that's really what they do. They have the billboards, they're on the buses. But my passion has always been civil rights and employment law. And our jury verdicts here are just, they're embarrassing. I mean, in We've had some some really bad juries on cases where liability should liability shouldn't have even been a question, and so it was really hard for me to live the way I wanted and pay my student loan debt doing that for a living. So I um, switched over to the defense side, where I found that I could actually impact change from the inside out. You know, working with employers to help them make the right decisions while they're still protecting the organization. And then my firm knew when I came over, continuing to do those plaintiffs cases that were important to me was a deal breaker and they were all in. So I do continue to take cases that, uh, in my opinion, are meaningful. Um, they are generally civil rights related and uh, often with an employment spin because um, that's where my knowledge basis is the strongest. But yeah, so that's me. Uh, what's the best advice you have ever been given and who gave it to you? Best advice? Um, you know, the best advice, I don't know that it's that I've been given, but that I give is to fake it till you make it. Um, and I kind of get laughter. I mean, I talk to other attorneys uh, frequently and give presentations on areas of law that, I, you know, we all do that, CLEs and things. But I think that's really what we're all doing. And hopefully at some point, we're trying to convince the jury. We're trying to convince them we're an expert in whatever it is. We're not. We're not doctors. You know, we're lawyers. And, um, and especially what I do in employment law, um, I'm never an expert expert in public transit completely. I'm never an expert in logistics or, but when I get in front of that jury or that judge, I need them to believe that I am. And so in some respects, I'm faking it. And if I fake it well enough, maybe I've convinced them that I know what I'm talking about. And so what's the greatest frustration you have in practicing law? I think the myth that we can get justice for our clients because the truth is we can never make them whole again, you know, when you're, especially when you're plaintiff's counsel. And that is very hard for them to understand. And it's very hard to accept as a practitioner um, because that's our goal, right? But what does justice really look like? And especially when you're practicing in a red state, uh, those challenges are really difficult to overcome. What's your most famous case? My most famous case is McKinney v. Whitley County Sheriff. And that was a case where, an African-American man who 
just great human, not that I should have to justify that to anyone, but he was a perfect plaintiff, a military background, a college athlete, um, and his, his life's dream was to be a cop. Not many of us can say that. Uh, for better or worse. And um, he just, he was really focused on the justice system and he took a pay cut. Um, he finally got into the this sheriff's department. It was a small county outside of Fort Wayne. Here in Fort Wayne, we're the second largest city in the state. And so we often kind of have feeder officers that come in. They start in the smaller counties and then they join the Fort Wayne Police Department. And um, he very quickly learned that he was not going to be treated the same as his colleagues. And when I say first black employee, I mean, literally the first black employee of the entire county, right? As a county employee, I'm certain they've other industries in the county have minority employees. In fact, I know they do, but for this Whitley County, one of the shocking things that happened to him was that when he went to the sheriff to say, hey, I really feel like I'm being treated differently. uh, The sheriff said, you know, you should watch the Jackie Robinson movie, 42, because it'll help you grasp what you're up against. So instead of being proactive, right, and addressing his uh, colleagues' issues, he basically told my client, buckle up, buttercup. (laughs) And then that progressed into other scenarios where, you know, my client was hired at the same time as a white employee. And uh, they were just the treatment, even at a Christmas party, uh, my client was ostracized, sat alone with his wife during the whole party while this other white employee uh, was joked, laughed, and I won't get into what that employee had done, but some pretty egregious things, even making it really inappropriate YouTube videos. That employee was never held accountable. Uh, My employee was then, my client was then later accused of theft, which was ridiculous. It was documented. That was not the case. The case went up to the Seventh Circuit and the judges mocked the sheriff of Whitley County. Um, This was a, a big case. It's a case that's cited regularly, at least in the Seventh Circuit, because the Whitley County Sheriff, their legal argument was in large part, well, the sheriff hired him, so he couldn't be discriminating against him, right? And the court said, oh, come on. It's completely plausible that he hired him thinking, maybe this will work, maybe it won't. And we think that's what happened here. It didn't work because he wasn't willing to put in the effort to hold these other employees accountable. And that's unlawful discrimination. So at one point, I believe it was Judge Posner who said to the counsel for the sheriff, ma'am, is your client an idiot or a liar? And and that was a really defining moment, obviously, where plaintiff's counsel knew they'd won that case. So we ended up getting that settled in a judicial settlement conference. Did your client get reemployed elsewhere as a cop? Oh, yeah. And, and he's making significantly more than he was making there. He's very successful. Well, I'm happy for that because I'm former law enforcement. I was a prosecutor. So. OK, OK, nice. Yeah. All right. So you're now only a, a baby in the law. Those <laughs> who don't remember, I'm now a retired attorney after 37 years. So what's your goal for the next 27 years when you become me and I'm dead? <laughs> I love that. I love that question. Um, you know, my goal is to impact change, I think. Um, really, I didn't become a lawyer to just bill a lot of hours, right? I became a lawyer to do something positive. I'm very active in my community. Um, I sit on the local rules committee of the Northern District of Indiana. Um, I, I really try to reach out to youth who were like myself, who didn't think that what I'm doing right now is a real possibility for them and let them know that they can do it too. You know, intellect really isn't tied to education. And a lot of people, if they don't come from a background of 
parents with great educations, they just think they can never do something worthwhile. They find themselves looking at jobs that are, you know, in some respects, not fulfilling for them. So I like to participate in organizations and advocacy. Confidence building. Yeah. Yeah. You're a confidence builder. Yeah, I did it. You can do it. And uh, would you agree that there's probably more tenacity than intellect to become a lawyer? It's rote. I mean, it really is rote in law school and um, programmatic. Yeah. It's, you just have to put in the hours and put in lots of hours. Yeah. I always that. say, and maybe this is like a, I don't know that it's a device, but I'm, I'm never the smartest person in the room, but I'm often the most prepared and I'm never afraid of a fight. So, and I think my background helps. Well, I taught my kids that you will actually want to do two things when you go in a room, be quiet and hopefully you're the dumbest person in the room because that's the only way you learn. And the smartest people are the quietest people because they're the ones trying to absorb the most data. So I'm going to ask you a question I've never asked in the podcast. Why are you as a female attorney designed better by the creator than a male attorney to be successful? Because I wrote my law school thesis on this. Why are you better than men in practicing law and in pretty much anything else in life? <laughs> no, no. When, when you hear the theory, you will go, I will send you a great machine tomorrow. You know, it's funny that you asked that question. I just yesterday had a conversation with a client and this is a plaintiff's case. He's an employer who had somebody that worked for him that was a trusted employee steal over $200,000 from him, right? And so we're trying to recoup that money. And it was my first conversation with him. I'm taking the case over from another client. And a lot of times people think, oh, I want a bulldog, right? And they envision a bulldog as a man. And when we were talking, he said, you seem very nice. You must be able to turn it off and on. And I said, huh, well... I'm not going to be offended by that because I, I do think that that was a gender biased comment, unless he just expected that I was going to be yelling over the phone. I said, uh, I have the ability to be kind and respectful and empathetic. And I find that it gets me further in life and in my cases. That is not the reason. That is not. Okay. Well, I, I think it's the empathy that women carry. So hopefully this is not considered gender biased, but if it's factual, it can't. So I will I will get to go back and cross-examine like the old days. Uh, when you were a teenager, did you ever have slumber parties with other girls? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And during those slumber parties, would you maintain three or four conversations at once? Oh, yeah. Okay. So the reason women are better is historically to overcome the physicality differential between men and women, they sought power in information. And so over the history of the world and all cultures, women were better listeners. And men, because they're more pedantic and misogynistic, called it manipulation. No, I call it better negotiation. They gathered more data of different types and processed it more quickly than men. So they own the negotiating table because they saw the body language, tone of voice, contextual data of 
For example, are you married or do you have a boyfriend? I am married. Okay. Uh, how long have you been married? Two years in October. And how long have you known the lucky guy? Uh, six or seven. Okay. So um, six or seven years ago, your lovely man did something wrong. Yesterday, you went out with him and he did something quite similar. And you synthesized the data without even thinking about it. And you said, honey, now we had this conversation six years ago. We were here. You were wearing that. We were on the way to this meeting. And I asked you not to do that again. And yet you did it again today. Have you ever had a moment like that? Uh, yeah, he's down the hall. He's my law partner. Uh, he'd be cracking up right now hearing you say okay. that. Okay. <laughs> so the answer is women naturally do that. Men can learn to do that. Mm-hmm. But they don't naturally do it. And when when I discovered this in uh, law school and writing my thesis, I harked back to I took acting in college. And the greatest um, thing that ever occurred in all of college was a year of acting class because uh, Spencer Gall, God, God rest his soul at this point, gave me a skill set that men need. You walk in a room, you close your eyes. The first day, I couldn't tell anybody who was wearing what, anything. Today, it happened yesterday with the cleaning lady, okay? She had cut her hair in a different way first time and since I met her. I commented, I didn't think about it. Woman, like, broke out in smiles. Like, <laughs> why would her? And she knows I'm happily engaged, right? She knows my fiance that someone would pay attention to her, right? Mm. Okay. You have the power. If you are wanting to do the greatest thing for young women, if they do the Maslowian hierarchy, realize they have this power, the confidence you will imbue in them is untold. Unbelievable. You have, if, if women realize that they have a power that in reality factually makes them stronger than men and more likely to prevail in negotiations. And negotiations is everything in life. Everything in life is sales. Selling yourself to your husband that we're going to go out to this place for dinner and he wants to go out that place for dinner. Or getting one of your kids to follow your directions now when they're in pissy mood or dealing with an elderly parent or uh, obstinate judge or a pain in the ass attorney on the other side, it's all sales. And the person who has the most data processed the most quickly is the person who controls the negotiations. And women are better than men. And if you give that to women, you have given them the greatest gift you can ever give. Very good. Well taken. Well, please tell our audience why they should hire Rachel Quinn. Oh, geez. Uh, And this is one of those female things where you're intuitively humble and say, oh, no, it's fine. No, no, no. The whole point of this podcast is let the world know (laughs) I got a spotlight on her. She's the Mac Daddy. (laughs) You know, um, my clients appreciate my transparency and honesty from the beginning through the end of our cases and or our relationships. And um, we as attorneys cannot always win. I never make promises I can't keep. And that sets a very realistic expectation and makes the process seem more fair as we work through it. I always hope to win. I will do my best. 
But if we don't win, you'll know why. And uh, it won't be a complete shock to you, I guess. And I think that that's important. And the diligence that goes with that and keeping my clients apprised of what's happening every step of the way, I often hear as people come to me and leaving other lawyers is, I had no idea what was going on in my case. No one was telling me anything, but you call me back. Every time I call you, you call me back within 24 hours. And it might just be to say or shooting an email, I see you. Um, I can't get back to you today, but I will tomorrow. And that's enough to make them well, feel seen. And so I, I've had two attorneys uh, talk about communication. So you're number three, but you're the only ter- attorney out of maybe a hundred that I've interviewed who have actually told their clients that I'm not going to tell you I can win. And that is unique. So everyone, if you're in Fort Wayne, Indiana, or you're in a surrounding city, or you want to go to Fort Wayne, have a case just to get a great attorney, call up Rachel Wynn. Well, thank, thank you, you for appearing on the Case Coast podcast and hang on for a second. Thank you for listening to another episode of Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and their insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Case Closed, the Contingency Fee Podcast is led by industry experts who unlock insights from the nation's top contingency fee attorneys. Each week on the show, the guests share how they got started, secrets of their success, and what's working in today's marketplace. Guests on the Case Closed Podcast include successful contingency fee attorneys that will share their secrets so you can close more cases. Tune in each week for a dynamic conversation about winning legal strategies that will grow your business. 